0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Screen Wars, our thought leader series, where we learn from industry experts about the latest trends and challenges from across the convergent TV space, hosted by Michael Beach. Today, I'm joined by Steve Lanzano. Steve is currently the CEO of the the TVB. Uh, You know, we often use research from the TVB uh, instead of the screens. Uh, You know, I've I've, I've kind of talked to multiple other conferences before on, on panels. Uh, you know, and one thing I really find interesting about Steve is, um, you know, before, uh, going to be the CEO at TVB, you know, he was an agency, uh, executive for a long time in New York and that insight really about what, um, uh, the buyer, how they look at the world, um, in a role like Steve has, I think probably, you know, serves that organization really well. And, and um, you know, really the, kind of we always look at the, the side that can make The life easiest on the buyer is definitely have a leg up, especially in this kind of fragmented world where, um, you know, there's so many different more places you got to plan and buy and, and, uh, you know, report on. Uh, So, you know, I think that's really interesting. And we we talk about, uh, you know, a lot of opportunities in the market, um, the rise of sports betting and obviously just coming out of the political cycle. We're hearing about the earnings, but I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. So, uh, you know, please, please enjoy my talk with Steve Alanzano. Hey, Steve, welcome to Screen Wars. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here. Excellent. I know you and I go, go a ways back, but uh, mind giving our audience uh, a little background on, on TVB and kind of the problem you solved and a little back, background on how you ended up there?
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, I've spent, before I came here, I spent over 30 years on the agency side of the business, on um, media planning groups, um, and uh, worked my way up to running uh, what was then called Media Edge and then Media Edge CIA. Which became WaveMaker, and probably will be changed to another name one of these days by Group M. Uh, I spent most of my time at big agencies, um, Group M uh, agencies, including Mindshare. I uh, was at FCB when there was an FCB that doesn't exist anymore either. Uh, and then prior to coming to TVB, I was at Havas Media, um, running uh, CEO of North America. But most of my time was spent on the media planning and buying side of the business, and I was recruited uh, to the TVB. They were looking to maybe change the way uh, and the work that was done by the association in terms of being more outward with and agencies, doing more as almost a business development association, but also obviously doing advocacy and PR and, of course, all the research work we do, which is vitally important to the industry. So that's basically how I got here. The TVB essentially is the association that represents all of the uh, local broadcast stations across the United States. Um, we uh, we don't do the lobbying side or the legislative side. That's done by the NAB. And once in a while, Michael, we get involved, especially if there are issues with uh, every once every other year. It seems to come up about taxing advertising. So I get involved in that. I do submissions there, but. It's, it's on a rarity. That's really handled by the NAB and we handle the, the marketing side of marketing our agencies to agencies and to advertisers.
0: Yeah. And we're recording this, uh, March 22nd. So earnings season just ended for, for Q4 and, uh, a lot of the broadcast groups, you know, had a, had a monster close of the year. Uh, you know, a lot of that October, November political, um, you know, we worked with ad impact on a projection. We had a, 80% growth over for broadcast over the last midterm. Uh, and right. just put it in perspective for the audience, you know, 80% going from two and a half to four and a half billion dollars. So a huge chunk of change. What do you think uh, local broadcast TV kind of, what does it continue to deliver for, to political campaigns that, that drives this?
1: That's a great question. You know, I, as you know, Michael, after every um, political cycle, we do what we call a voter funnel where we go into the 10, most competitive states that had competitive races and we canvass voters on what influenced them from, you know, knowing a candidate or a ballot measure to actually going out and voting to see what really drives them. And across the board, whether it's awareness or whether it's actually going out and voting and deciding on a candidate or yay or nay on a ballot measure, Broadcast TV overwhelmingly influences everyone. Now, it changes, right? And I always say to you, Michael, it's not TV or it's TV ad, right? You yeah. should be doing connected TV, you should be doing digital, um, you know, you should be doing radio, you should be doing other things. But they're additive to TV. So I think what really is, I, I, I look at this as our base case study, right? You win or lose in a president, in any type campaign, right? You could be the number two share of market which happens, you know, uh, in other general, uh, general advertising categories, that doesn't matter, you lost. So we look at this as a way of saying, you know, the political consultants, they have, and like you, have all the research in the world. You know what moves the poll numbers, you know what gets people out to vote, you know what gets them motivated, which is the main thing in terms of the political category. And overwhelmingly, it's broadcast TV. Now, as I said, it's not broadcast TV only, right? You should be doing connected TV, which is growing. You, sh- you know, you should be doing uh, digital. You should be doing radio. Um, but it's how you use it in the roles of those mediums for those, uh, for those races, whether they're state races, whether they're down ballot races, whatever it might be. It's how do you use those to make sure that you're reaching your constituents.
0: Yeah, and, and despite kind of the 50% market share, what do you think your other advertisers kind of in the core could learn from political campaigns at the local level? I mean, that's,
1: that's, that's a great question. You know, I, I think uh, a lot of the learning, uh, especially versus other campaigns, in fact, we get the reverse question a lot. You know, we go to the ANA or the four do They want to know what they can learn from political campaigns. Yeah. Um, cause they really find those fascinating because it is a win or lose situation. But if you look at it from re- the reciprocal, uh, I think the learnings is really gets, gets to measurement, Michael, which I know you're very much involved with. And then how do we expand our measurement so that we can deduplicate audiences and look at if we ran a spot across all these different platforms, how many unique people did we reach? Right. How many, what kind of frequency did we reach them with? And was it effective in terms of reaching them? And that's, I think, where the category is now. And I think that's where now the political side needs to get more involved in terms of measurement and in terms of measuring across all of those different platforms that are out there and then being able to put that together and look at how many unique different people. did we reach?
0: Yeah, that's something, like I said, we're, we're definitely focused on with, um, a lot of the solutions right now are more at the national level and, you know, trying to impact the upfronts and, you know, your larger brand advertisers. And and with political, it kind of forces us to be, you know, I mean, most cycles will buy in almost all 210 markets. Um, That's right. So we've got to be much wider than the big markets.
1: That's correct. And, and, you know, most of, uh, you know, when you look at our business, you know, our business is 75% local direct advertisers and basically 20, 25% national advertisers. Um, so if, uh, in the words of Tip O'Neill, all, all, you know, all political is local, all politics is local, um, that's what we, uh, that's really where we shine in terms of providing, especially what we provide on a local level. They're, they're, we're really the only game in town in terms of providing local news and information now. I mean, radio Mm -hmm. kind of walked away from it, um, because they're doing more national syndication, um, you know, newspapers, uh, and I was a big newspaper reader, unfortunately, they really don't exist anymore. Um, so we're really the only game in town that provides that kind of local news and information. And In fact, it's over 55% of our re- our advertising revenue is in local news. And the more news, that, the, one of the fascinating things to me, Michael, is the more news that we could put on the air, there's such an insatiable appetite, it'll find an audience. Everybody wants news and you know, we saw it during the pandemic, especially our news numbers exploded, right? Anytime that there's some sort of event, whether it's a weather event, whatever it might be, um, you know, our local news numbers usually double. But what we saw during the pandemic is the, the 18 to 34-year-olds, where we didn't obviously have a lot of viewership, really grew. And now we didn't expect it was going to stay that way when things kind of opened up, and it didn't, but... Our audience has increased 10 to 15 percent now versus where it was pre-pandemic. Against that audience, which is good, because as people grow older and get to 25 to 54, 25 to 64, and especially when you look at, you know, a voter demographic, which you can make the case is 35 plus, um, they watch more and more news. So that's that's really our real point of differentiation. I uh, always say that, you know, it's something everybody wants but can't replicate. Um, the digital guys try to replicate it. They couldn't. Um, it's Obviously, it's very uh, capital intensive in terms of financing.
0: Yeah, ton, just uh, news crews and satellite trucks and all that. I mean, it's not a, it's a very tough model to replicate.
1: That's right. Exactly. So that's really our, our niche. And, of course, having uh, NFL football. I mean, that's also very important. That, that sports angle is also very important.
0: What do you see in the recent years? What's changed the most in the, in the local TV market?
1: Um, again, I think what we've seen is a movement from, uh, uh, I'm going to say, prime entertainment, which is only about 12% of our advertising revenue, um, which was about the 20, 25% range years ago has gone down. The growth in news but also the growth in our streaming product, our website product, our on-demand product. Um, we need to be on all social platforms and most of the major news, uh, most of the major broadcasters are, uh, the O and O certainly are, most of the major group broadcasters are in terms of whether it's Facebook or TikTok or YouTube or wherever it might be. And now the growth in terms of virtual MVPDs and making sure that our content is there We want to be where everybody is, right? We need to be where the viewers are. So we have to make sure that we're on those platforms. And now really the work being done, Michael, is what's the content for those platforms and how does that change versus the linear content? Because obviously some of those platforms obviously skew younger. So what type of content, how do you deliver the content that we provide that local news and information content in a different way on those social platforms, virtual mtpd platforms versus what we provide on linear and a lot of the stations are working those angles seeing what works what doesn't work
0: yeah a lot in the news lately um obviously the kind of struggles of the regional sports networks and the the business model um kind of interesting side note not gotten as much coverage but you know company like ew scripts like launching a, a sports division do you see sports coming back to broadcast tv Local? Yeah, I mean,
1: I think it's very interesting what's going on now with the RSN model. And, and uh, you know, the it, it's such an expensive model, right, for the rights fees and trying to make that work. And then you got to negotiate with the MVPD so you get carriage on it. And obviously there's been some issues, especially with, you know, Diamond Sports. So I do think there's an opportunity. I mean, we see out in L.A., um, uh, Nexstar has some L.A. Laker games now. Um, and I think they're getting some LA, LA Clipper games also. So you're seeing a move back to broadcast. And a lot of that has to do with the wide audience, right? Broadcast TV in a market reaches everybody, whether you're MVPD, virtual MVPD, or over the air, right? You get access to that. And, you know, quite frankly, one of the things in, in, in the work that we do is looking at on uh, NFL football, right? NFL football across the broadcast networks was up. Three to four percent this year after being up double digits last year. But the numbers, when you look at it overall, were down two percent because of the Thursday night football on Amazon, which took those numbers way down. They don't, they can't do the promotions on the games, right? We can promote games, you can promote football across, and, and the, obviously the network can do that across all of our affiliates. And the importance of doing that to drive people to the to the television set and viewers. So I think, you know, scripts and others are finding, hey, there might be an opportunity here to start bringing some of that, broad, some of those sports, local sports teams back to broadcast TV, and we can show the, the, the breadth of audience that we can bring and actually provide some financial stability to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the... You know one of the interesting things when I, when I talk to kind of analysts in the sports area is the um you know the revenue immediately versus brand building like the nfl obviously being on broadcast is all constantly building its its top of funnel with the brand versus you know you got like major league soccer that went all the way to apple tv they're going to reach all the hardcore people but they're going to have a tough time probably growing the sport because that you know the access so that's even an interesting trade-off in the in the short term of of getting people getting the game in front of more people
1: yeah i mean i think it comes down to michael you know we always talk about w- w- what do we provide well we're the only scale game in town right now right to try to scale up on other platforms is very difficult to do um so we provide the scale and, and i think you saw that years ago when G went and they even said they went overly towards digital and they weren't bringing new, new people into their uh into their products so they weren't growing their uh, consumers, um, and they went back the other way and said, We you know, we've got to bring more monies back to media like linear TV, so that we can continue to grow the audience and bring in new users." And I think that's exactly what we can do.
0: You know, with with your background in the agency world, you know, overall, how do you see that today? And then, for you talked about the ratio of local or national, is the agency that buys local TV more often a national agency or, or local?
1: Well, it, I mean, obviously, you know, we still get a lot of national dollars, uh, 25% still a big number. And then if you're in, you know, large markets, top 15, 20 markets, I mean, I, I'd say the ratio is probably closer to 55, 45 local national, right? Because all the big national advertisers want to spend... In those big markets where they have a lot of business, um, and that's where the O and O businesses, the owned and operated network-owned station groups are, and of course some of our group broadcasters who have uh, who have uh, stations in those in those markets. Um, but predominantly, uh, you know, we're getting it from either direct from an advertiser, a local advertiser, or from a local or 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 a media or regional agency. But still. You know, a large portion of our revenue comes from national agencies, and one of the things you know we spend a lot of time with national agencies is, you know, it's 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 difficult on the national agency side, right? Their margins are so small. I mean, they've really done a, I think, a terrific job in terms of rechanging their compensation model to essentially be a manpower plus model with incentives, so it's not based on commissions anymore. And where they really make their money is on data and analysis. A lot of even some of the bigger companies, package goods companies, took some of that in-house understand they need the agencies to because they have all the software and the and the back end built to be able to manage that data, provide insights off of that data and also buy off of that data. So the agencies, when you looked at. Their earnings report for the, you know, the fourth quarter, everyone went, wow, they were organic growth like seven or eight percent. What's, what's going on here? A lot of that has to do with the change of their compensation model and moving uh, and advertisers really focusing on data and analytics, especially first party data with cookies going away. You know, they became more and more important. What we need to do, and we're working and we're working closely with the agencies on. Is really making the buying process simpler, making it automating it more, making it more electronic. So all of those mundane manual labor things that got to get done, whether it's simply like make goods or whatever it, it might be, that that's done all electronically, and that takes a lot of the you know helps with the manpower on the agency side and allows them to build deeper relationships with the stations in terms of sponsorships um and you know greater more premium uh advertising opportunities um that they can do now versus they're so inundated sometimes with all the paperwork and all the back end work they don't have time to do that so we're working very closely with the agencies in trying to make that all the back end stuff as simple and make it all automated as possible so that we can provide Bigger
0: and better opportunities. Yeah, the uh, you know one area I think the you know pricing and avails the, the, one thing we see in our marketplace. We have digital buyers, we have you know, kind of linear predominant buyers, and it's it's a lot easier for our linear buyers to start to buy streaming than it is for the digital buyers to go into TV because it's just it's so different than what they're used to. And I think you know that's we're always trying to focus on how can we bring more people into the marketplace. Cause I think there's an opportunity for just increased demand and yield if you get both parties uh, interested in the inventories. So I think that, that would definitely be a huge improvement.
1: Exactly right, and uh, you know, I, and you're absolutely right. It's 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 much easier, right, for a linear buyer to buy streaming than someone who's been on the digital side to go the opposite way. And I think the agencies have learned that, quite frankly, uh, and they're, and they're, what they're trying to do is. Provide a greater knowledge base because what they would like is someone who can buy all of it in the market and can look at the market as a whole and then be able to put it together so that they get the greatest reach at the most efficient cost.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a vision. Um, We had uh, Brian Weezer on formerly with WPP last week on the podcast. I'm sure you're kind of familiar with him and he told this really interesting story about when he first got into the agency business, the national level he did the math and figured out that a, it was a national brand, but they had up see regional footprint that, um, you know, X percent of their customers fell into, you know, Y percent of markets and that they should buy in you know, 25 or 30% local TV. And he just, he walked through kind of the friction there. Um, cause on, on the service, the math made total sense. Uh, but he, he just talked about like, even from the national level of making that happen, um, you know, it's really complicated. Is that an area you see for growth at the local level?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I won't use the name of a, of the company, but there was a QSR we went to um, to show them that they were buying all national media. And right in national media, number one, doesn't fall equally across the country, right? You know, 7% of the impressions just don't fall in New York. It could be 20% of your impressions, depending upon what you're buying. Mm-hmm. But also it doesn't fall in line with what you're, sales distribution is and we were showing them that in one really large market they had one restaurant and it was getting 20% of their impressions. Now unless that restaurant was worth doing 24 hours a day and was selling all their high-end products it didn't didn't seem to make a lot of sense so we actually put together a plan for them using basic uh, econometric models to show them if you were to divert, and it wasn't a lot of money—like 10 or 15 percent of their dollars—back to spot, they could even out their delivery and make their de- delivery better and equate to what their sales were versus just running a national campaign and hoping everything falls where you know that everything falls where it may, which may not be as efficient or as effective. And we got them to move money. So, yes, we do that a lot with, uh, you know, big national advertising especially or those that are moving to national. Um, we've had these conversations with, you know, a new category that came out of nowhere the past two years, sports betting, right? Very much a, a local category because it's regulated by the states. And there are, I think, 33 states now that have some form of legal sports betting. Some do have mobile, some don't. Um, and not all of the fan duels and the DraftKings and the, that MGMs are in all of those markets, and they were thinking about maybe we should start going national. We're getting bigger, and we showed them how much of their how much of their dollars are being wasted in states where they didn't even have a footprint, nor could they do mobile advertising. And In fact, showed many of them that you know without you know without California, without Texas, without Florida, and yes, in New York it's legal. But when 51 percent of your revenue goes to the state government because it's taxed, boy, that's really taken out of your profit. So when you take out those four big states, all of a sudden, it doesn't make sense for me to run national. So we brought that and we've had them kind of say, you're right. You know, help us with putting together a plan. We want to do some national because we want to start getting some markets that we think are going to open up shortly to start, you know, creating awareness. Of who we are but we want to make sure we're hitting those markets where people are betting and where we make our money
0: yeah i love that that's a uh, huge growth area and like you said they've regulated some of their they you know their customers can't they can not uh, consume the product so exactly we'll see you, i'll get you out here on, on a couple questions uh, one if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the local video marketplace what would it be <laughs> You know
1: what I'll say if I could wave two wands, maybe you know, Aladdin would give me two wishes. One would be that um, we really um, provide an end-to-end solution in a- a- automating our transaction process. I think that would greatly increase our opportunity in terms of national advertisers. The second one would be that we get some of these companies, Nielsen. I'm seeing tomorrow about bringing Nielsen One to the local market. We're doing our own survey with SIM and with the 4As to say, if you had the perfect research, what you need on local, what would it be so that we could start going out and saying, here's here's what we need. So if I had a magic wand to say I had the perfect, you know, research service to measure our audience, that could go across platform and provide a, showing me what I, I get in terms of my reach across, deduplicated reach across those platforms, I think that would be a home run for
0: yeah, but those would be amazing, for sure. Uh, we'll see where, where's the best place for our audience to find you?
1: Uh well, very easy. I, I have a very simple email. It's steve at tvb.org. I don't understand people have like these emails that are like 75 characters long. Don't you want people to know how to find you? So ours is very simple. Steve at TVB.org. Uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, uh, any type of research also that you would like that maybe that you know your audience doesn't get please contact me because we, we either have it or we can help you get it.
0: Yeah, that may be the shortest email of I anyone mean, we've had on. So, <laughs> Excellent. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I know our audience will love it. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this
0: episode of Screen Wars. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. You can find out more about Cross Screen Media at crossscreenmedia.com. Please don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter, State of the Screens. You can find us on social media at Cross Screen Media. Join us next time for more insights and analysis straight from the experts.